Hey, it's Brennan Kelso here from LegalSites.com.au. You're listening to Better Law Firm Marketing, and I'm currently filming this introduction in a fairly dark room at 6.56 a.m. on a Thursday because this is the only time that I can do it. So there we go. And uh, so in today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rob Nosley via Zoom. He was in Queensland. I was in New South Wales and Newcastle, and I picked his brain about how law firms can navigate through this crisis. Now, who's Rob Nosley? If you don't know who Rob is, Rob is a legal practice management consultant. So he helps law firms that aren't profitable become profitable. He has been doing this for over 30 years. He's helped over 1,355 law firms achieve profitability from Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. So he's the guy that you call if you're not profitable, you maybe don't know why you're not profitable and you need to become profitable. So he comes in, he sits down, he finds out what uh, everyone's doing and at the at the firm, finds out what maybe they should be doing, puts in systems so that your law firm is more efficient and helps you achieve profitability. So that is what he does in a nutshell and he's obviously very good at it and I wanted to sit down and, and pick his brain and find out what, uh, what he would recommend law firms do to navigate through this crisis. Obviously, every law firm is different, uh, but we got some real nuggets of wisdom today, and I asked some very specific questions about what uh, some law firms are struggling with, what are some of the common issues, and what his advice is on, on what to do about that. Now, quick caveat, it is my first interview ever. It's my first Zoom interview as well, so at times if I look a bit awkward or sound awkward, uh, awkward, then uh, that's why. Uh, but uh, I let Rob do a lot of the talking. That's how I like to do interviews. That's the type of interview style that I like. If you can hear a little bit of rustling down there, that's my dog. He decided to start making noise while I was filming this. <laughs> there he goes. He just shaked. Um, of course, if you do want to support this podcast, uh, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you watch on YouTube, uh, consider subscribing. That would really help out. Um, even if you don't like the podcast and you're just a nice person, you can go ahead and do that. So that's it. I'll wrap up this introduction. Without much further ado, here's Rob Nosley. Hey, everyone. It's Brendan here from Legal Sites. Today, I've got a very special guest with me. I've got Rob Nosley here on Zoom, and uh, he's actually a bit more experienced with Zoom than me, which um, should uh, should come as no surprise. He's uh, been around for a long time. Rob is um, what I would consider one of the the vet- veterans of the Australian legal industry. Um, just a, a quick quick bio. He's a former barrister and solicitor. He's a legal practice management consultant. He actually retired in 1988 um, to become a legal practice management consultant, and that's actually when I was born. Um, and he's helped over. 1,355 law firms throughout Australia and New Zealand and Canada. So today, uh, I really wanted to pick his brain and, um, and find out um, what his advice is for law firms to navigate through these challenging times right now. So that's going to be the general topic of today's chat. And there, you know, there might be some other surprises that come in. You never know. We're going to try and keep this as, as fun and natural as, as we can and, uh, and give you guys some good information. Um, I think I've done a lot of talking there. Um, Rob, how are you going, mate? Very good. Very good. 
Brendan. Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. I uh, appreciate the chance to chat with you. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, maybe we'll just quickly let people know how we met. I was um, I, I started my business legal sites after I'd graduated from university. And my dad, Peter Kelso, who's a solicitor, he said, Brennan, you need to get in touch with Rob. Um, how, do you, how do you know Peter Kelso? Uh, Peter was uh, a client of mine in his firm in, uh, in Newcastle for quite some time and uh, also uh, a, a friend. And uh, I often uh, took the opportunity to catch up with Peter when I visited Newcastle. Um, even when we weren't working directly together, so we go back, uh, go back a long way. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, he, I remember him t- telling me that you are just a real gun at public speaking. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll have to, we'll have to let your audience decide that. Yeah. I do, I do enjoy it, and uh, you know, I do a lot of um, conference speaking for for lawyers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, apropos of some of the things we're going to talk about a bit later, it's interesting that quite a few of my clients over the years have been law firms who've contacted me a considerable time after I've spoken at conferences. And, um, you know, that's how you get a lot of relationships started, as, as you know, from your particular interest in, uh, in business development. Yeah, I've, I've found that... It's- especially with lawyers, I think they need a lot of time to think about whether or not they're going to pursue um, a service like mine or yours. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as a lawyer, uh, I can be very frank about what I think about lawyers and how they think. And part of the problem is that they're very, very intelligent people. Um, you, You just have to be to, to get a, a law degree, uh, or to um, or to practice law, um, and what that means is that they often don't get the right um, balance in their focus between doing the work, serving people, and doing the work, and and you know carrying the burden and the pressure of that work, and then treating their own practice as the business that it is. Mm. So uh, sometimes it's it's uh, quite a long time between them starting thinking about perhaps getting some help. Yeah. And then um, quite often it's an event which causes them to think, well, better blooming well get on and do it now. Um, and that's fine. That uh, marketing is um, decent. Marketing is a long haul exercise and, and uh, you know, it's not all, um, place an ad on uh, on the internet and start um, you know answering the phone and fielding the emails yes i can i can really relate uh, lawyers uh, especially uh, uh, they they want to they want to get onto uh, a service like what you or i provide but there's just so many other things that they have to fix and to sort out at that point and maybe in two weeks they might have 15 minutes to get on with that and um and that that totally makes sense because they're just so so busy. So um, maybe you could give us just a, a quick a, a summary of how you got into um, your line of work, how you started KMS, why you started it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you lead the way there. Yeah, well, like so many people, you know, it's a very personal 
journey. I'd worked um, since the mid-70s in different legal environments and, and been a partner in a number of firms of different sizes and in, in different um, countries. And what I was seeing in terms of how the firms were managed um, wasn't at all impressive. Um, I probably didn't know at that stage how much I didn't know about managing firms, but what I felt was that I knew a heck of a lot more than, than most people who I was observing. And so um, when I was in a firm that had got, that I was managing partner of, which had reached, you know, 10 partners and probably 25 or so other employed lawyers, it, it, it just occurred to me that it was no longer the environment that I was enjoying um, trying to herd all those cats. And um, I decided that uh, I would get out and, and pursue an opportunity helping small firms, particularly small law firms, um, who, do, who simply couldn't afford the kind of in-house help that they needed. Um, and so that's how it started, that back in um, early 1988, um, 1st of April, of course, <laughs> so many businesses seem to start on the 1st of April. Um, but, you know, that was over 32 years ago now and still very much enjoying doing exactly what I set out to do back then, which is help as many lawyers in small practices as possible. Yeah, that was a good year, 1988. So uh, if you <laughs> think back at that time, my understanding of marketing back then was putting an ad in the yellow pages. That's all I know. Is, is, is that what, what was law firm marketing back in the 80s and, and early 90s? Well, focusing on small law firms wasn't much at all. I mean, you know, some, some lawyers um, didn't have much more than a business card if they did. And, and the law society in some jurisdictions even wanted to intrude into um, what color card your card could be and what type of print and all sorts of things. And of course, advertising per se uh, wasn't allowed in a lot of jurisdictions. Um, you know, of course, marketing was and business development was, but it, it was done by the classic rainmakers who who everyone thought were born rainmakers. Um, and, uh, you know, so it wasn't until not much was going on. And in fact, you know, you mentioned Yellow Pages. If there was any Yellow Pages advertising going on, once advertising was allowed in various jurisdictions, it was extraordinarily poorly done and, and consequently uh, not very successful. So uh, that was an, you know, that was an area that I saw could be improved and, and uh, a whole whole series of things could be improved across practices. And that's, that's been the case ever since. It's, uh, it continues to this day. Pretty well every new practice I see has the same problems that firms had 30 odd years ago. Okay, so what would be some of the main problems you just, you see time and time again, like specifically? Yeah, I mean, I try not to prejudge, obviously, but if I were to have a bit of a game and, and you know, deliberately prejudge for myself, uh, the kinds of things I expect to see are 
key principles uh, in firms doing far too much legal work. Uh, and because they should be the leaders of the firms, then there's an absence of um, practice management going on, practice management leadership, uh, marketing leadership, um, and certainly um, the over-utilisation of principles in legal work is usually matched by a very significant underutilization of other people in the practice in doing legal work. So um, you've got people under stress and not doing what I would, would regard as one of their key jobs, which is managing the practice, uh, not able to deal with the fact that the absence of management is causing huge problems and, and basically stifling the ability to produce decent profits which stifles the ability to invest and broaden going forward. You've got to have profit to have a healthy business. Yes. Uh, it's just, it's, it's non-debatable. Um, so that would be the main issue. Just the key resources not used correctly and with no plan to deal with that. So you've got a, you've really got a structural and systemic problem, which is incredibly easily fixed once it's addressed properly. So in your experience, do lawyers in high positions, do they, um, are, are they mostly doing legal work because that's what they want to do and they don't want to do management of the business and marketing and, and working on the business? Is, is that the case or, or, or what would you see the reason being? Look, uh, I would, my long-term impression is that 95% of lawyers want to be practicing lawyers doing legal work and, and helping people. But they've made the decision to be in business, whether they, whether they know it or not. Um, and uh, so, you know, they can't afford to put almost all of their effort into the legal work. If you're going to hire people um, and employ people to do things for you, then it, it, it's essential that you plan what it is they should be doing and then make sure that they are and, and, uh, and in particular that there's enough work for them to do, whether that be legal work on files or uh, the other sorts of things that people should be doing these days. Um, and I'm not talking about general administration, you know, we, we sort of got to try and expunge the the term general administration from a lawyer's dictionary. Um, they should be uh, helping clients by disseminating information. They should be, you know, giving seminars and webinars and uh, they should be going to clients' uh, businesses and talking with them about what's going on in the ground and, and what's keeping them awake at night. But they don't tend to do that. I, and I think it's because they feel that they'll be seen as trying to sell themselves and they're worried about you know they're worried about that they're worried about their, their image and they're worried potentially worried about being rejected um, and they're also worried about the files back in the office that um, they think they perhaps should be giving more attention to okay so, so it's against so the too much work thing too, too much legal work thing is a really big factor I hear the, the main uh, 
I don't want to say excuse, but the main maybe reason I hear in my line of work for not doing much marketing is time. Uh, what do you say to the law firm or the lawyer out there who says everything you're saying right now is, is makes, makes perfect sense, but how, where do I find the time to do that? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's absolutely tried that we've all got the same amount of time, uh, you know, give or take a few people in very exceptional circumstances. We've, we've all got enough time. It's just a question of how we decide to use it, where, where we decide to invest it. Um, and to my way of thinking, if we're going to make a decision to be in business and incur all, all these expenses that um, are inherent in running a business, and, and which are never ending, just, you know, just absolute perfect storm of, of cash outflow, um, then we've got to be thinking about how do we create cash inflow at a higher level um, so as to be able to create a margin on our investment after paying the principals a wage for doing their work. And uh, so it's, it's never a time issue. It's always a question of people not realizing that a, a simple reallocation of time sensibly utilized will transform their practice. And part of the Part of the problem there, I think, is the thing I alluded to right in the beginning, with solicitors being service-oriented and solicitors being pretty intelligent. It really doesn't occur to a lot of them that the answers to poor profitability aren't rocket science, that, that they're actually quite simple. Uh, not, there's not this sort of hidden um, answer somewhere that will be the, the silver bullet. Um, and when I say that it's pretty simple, I think far too many lawyers think, well, if it's that simple, what you're really saying is, I can't be very intelligent because I haven't been able to work it out why, why we can't make a profit and why we've always got cash flow problems. But it's simply because it is so simple that uh, it, it remains hidden from a lot of people because they're looking for complicated answers. And, and that means they're doing a lot of digging and, and a lot of shoveling in, in the wrong areas. And, mm. and it doesn't work. It has no impact, no good impact whatsoever, which is, you know, counterintuitive. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of similarities between what you do and what uh, any other type of coach would do. Like um, we, for example, most of us know that if we're overweight and unfit, we sort of know what we have to do. Um, but many people really need that that extra help they need that personal trainer that coach they need that motivation they need someone reminding them of all the simple things that they know they need to do and uh, i see that as uh, there's a lot of similarities between what a personal trainer would you know a personal trainer will help someone reach their diet and fitness goals even though that person probably knows how to do it anyway and uh, and you're there to 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 remind them of all the things they know they need to do they just they need you there to push them along. Yeah, and that means, you know, you need to develop a relationship with people whereby they give you permission to, um, you know, put your size 11 boot where it needs to be from time to time. Um, and having given you that permission, then, um, you know, they appreciate you doing it when it needs to be done because uh, running a good 
business long term is just repetition of of sound systems following sound strategies and doing it over and over and over um, so th there are there are echoes of um, you know the whole pandemic situation uh, compared back to say the the global financial crisis or you know compared back to uh, other changes in in the business world and changes in the profession people always seem to be looking for some special thing they need to be doing now as a result of these changes <laughs> a lot of the time all they need to do is start doing the very very basic things that they always should have been doing um, pre-pandemic pre-gfc um, pre tech tech changes in the legal profession and so forth so there are always people you know writing writing books and publishing heaps and heaps of words about where the profession is going to be going but so many people get carried away with reading those and forgetting to ask the public out there who could be paying them legal fees for looking after their legal problems and providing simple solutions they, they get a bit bogged down in the in the theory and the, the long-term view. Uh, if we'd taken a long-term view based on what we were told 30 odd years ago about what was going to happen to small legal practices, we'd all be, you know, um, in the, in the poorhouse by now because we would have got it completely wrong. Um, the public out there needs help. Law's complicated, law's tricky, law's expensive, uh, law's full of traps and mysteries. And, and that's a lawyer's job to clarify and sort out and provide solutions. So, you know, getting the basics right doesn't seem to be as exciting for a lot of lawyers <laughs> as it should be, because if they get the basics right, the, the outcomes are very, very exciting. Okay. So what are some of the most common problems, concerns, questions, issues that your clients and other law firms are facing right now, what, they're, what they've been facing since this whole lockdown has become, become real? Okay, so if we, if we leave aside the sort of, you know, the very fundamental things like people getting organised to work remotely and um, all, all those sorts of issues and, and to get, you know, to get documentation signed that previously would have, by law, required face-to-face -face meetings, uh, which can't happen. Um, the main issue at the moment for some firms is um, that their new inquiry has dropped off. I was talking with a firm yesterday where their new inquiry since the beginning of this has dropped off by just on 90%. Now, in the short term, unless you looking at that issue every day in the short term that's not going to hurt because they've still got the work that was open previously to do but in the fullness of time if if that's not rectified through um, getting alternative inquiry uh, and perhaps downsizing as as appropriate and so forth um, that you're going to have a, a huge drop-off in uh, cash flow and that's cash flow inwards, of course. 
um, while cash flow up will still be strong. So even if the firm was profitable previously, it's suddenly going to become unprofitable um, and you're going to have terrible liquidity problems, uh, which any firm will have eventually if it's unprofitable, of course. You can't keep borrowing forever. Um, so it's, it's really about refocusing firms on where the opportunities may well be now rather than letting people assume that everything is, you know, cactus and we really got to sit and hope uh, that the economy will recover sufficiently eventually that we'll be able to survive. I mean, for, for an optimist and a, and a business manager, they, they just not, that's just not an option. You just have to focus on what clients might need, such as, um, you know, people needing uh, to make a new will or make a first will or make powers of attorney or whatever. We can't look at why they might not. We've got to find out whether they want to. Um, people who need help with uh, situations around their commercial lease, you know, people who need uh, help with the fact their business is expanding rapidly in the pandemic. So everyone who's involved in um, supplies for the healthcare industry, you know, there are a lot of industries that are going absolutely gangbusters at the moment. And it's a case of, of identifying where opportunities are there for assisting those people not to muck up. Uh, so a simple example would be, we already know that a lot of employers muck up when they're putting people on, putting workers on. You know, the whole issue of workers and uh, being employees or contractors, the whole issue of whether you've actually onboarded someone correctly. If you weren't getting it right pre-pandemic and you find your business growing uh, and you're under pressure to try and get all the product out to the, to the people who want it uh, because it's all very urgent and sudden, isn't it? Even, even uh, the production of, um, of face masks, you know, it was all very urgent, 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 retool, um, turn a refrigerator factory into a you know face mask factory and 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 get this get the stuff happening and people are going to make the same mistakes now that they were making before uh, in those areas so they they need assistance to avoid those sorts of problems and that's what um, a lot of lawyers need to be doing at the moment is thinking through not what's happened to their former flow of inquiry, but where should at least some of the replacement for that inquiry be likely to come, come from and how to go about getting it. It's not the time to have someone design you a new logo. It doesn't yeah. help the clients. No, so so right now would be the the perfect time to be to be getting in touch with the existing clients, the existing relationships that your law firm has, and and asking them what they need, and and so focusing more on 
generating income from the existing clients you have rather than new client acquisition? Yeah, I mean, the, to me, the the existing client base is is always where the majority of the effort should go. Um, you know, subject to firms that are brand new startups, of course, because we haven't got an existing client base. But um, and and sometimes not just asking them what they need, but giving them useful information that you anticipate they probably will need so that you're a few steps ahead of them and their thinking is, wow, um, here's me sort of starting to think that I might have this problem and here's a law firm's already sent me out a, you know, a 12 step guide to, uh, to dealing with this problem. Uh, so we've got a lot of spare time. When I say we, I'm talking the, the inclusive, you know, all of us in, <laughs> involved with small law firms. We've got more time um, because some of us aren't dealing with as much inquiry. Some of us um, you know, don't have as much work because we might have lost some clients who had cash flow problems. Uh, but we've got to make sure we double and treble our effort to think about the clients and then do things for the clients, uh, whether that be um, just providing very useful practical material or whether in some cases it be putting offers in front of them to do things um, for them that they should need such as um, a free will i mean a, a free will doesn't cost a firm anything if it wasn't going to be making a will or doing anything else using the time because there was no work so if you do a free will for somebody, um, you know, you're helping them incredibly. You're, you're keeping them in the fold. You're going to get them talking to others. Uh, you may well even pick up family members who weren't in your client base. Um, so, you know, you just really have to think laterally, but with a huge dose of common sense. Mm. It's not um, rocket science. No, I no. Keep saying and it's not rocket science, but you know, uh, I once met in Russia a couple of a couple, and they were both rocket scientists. So I, I always smile when I say it's not rocket science, because occasionally you do meet people who are rocket scientists, and uh, it, it, you know, opens your eyes to uh, how how trite and sort of uh, platitudinous you're being by saying it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure. I do wonder what the rocket scientists say to each other when they're trying trying to solve a problem, and it's a simple one. Uh, what do they say to each other? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know what they use. Um, but uh, no, it's I, not I, a, it's not a legal problem. Yeah, they say, no, it's not a legal problem. Yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not running a law firm here, guys. It's just rocket science. But um, yeah. yes, so. No, I, I very much agree with uh, with looking at the existing client base, the existing relationships and seeing what sort of opportunities we have there, what sort of low cost, uh, low time cost legal work can we do? How can we help these people? Um, I've, uh, for like an example could be, I was listening to uh, an interview um, on the Happy Lawyer podcast the other day with the, the founder of Automio and uh, she's not paying me to mention <laughs> Automio, but... Uh, uh, Claudia King, she made a, a good point that uh, she, she I can't remember the exact statistics, but there's this large proportion of people 
who ask for legal advice on Facebook groups and the people who are answering that are not lawyers. They're just, they're just anyone, anyone involved in, in Facebook groups. And these don't have to be legally um, topicked, uh, topical Facebook groups. They could be, these could be social Facebook groups and, and the people in there interact with each other. And, and when someone has an issue, they ask for legal advice. Like I, I used to be very involved in the wedding industry and I'm still a member of some Facebook groups. And I see it all the time where, um, uh, a member of that group who runs a business will have a legal issue and that they'll ask for advice and the people who provide the advice aren't lawyers. And there's this statistic showing that there's just this huge portion of people who um, will never contact a, law- a lawyer, never contact a law firm for reasons like they, they don't know how much it's going to cost, they don't trust law- lawyers, but like the reasons go on and on and on. Uh, but it would be an ideal time now to be doing some market research to be joining Facebook groups, online forums that, uh, that are related in some way to the types of services that you provide uh, that attract the type of client demographic that you typically service and just quietly read the comments. And uh, chances are that a, a legal issue will come up. It's just fantastic research. I'm not, I definitely don't recommend uh, contacting those people in the Facebook group directly and soliciting your services, but it's good. It's good research to understand what exactly are the legal issues people are having right now. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's a question of keeping your antennae up all the time. One of the, one of the things that I noticed in the, in the first five years or so of, of, running this particular business is that people would say in response to some advice that you gave them verbally, um, you know, you, you must have been a fly on the wall at a number of our partners meetings to have this depth of understanding of, of what on earth is going on in our firm and why we've got problems. And they, they were saying that in terms of um, a recognition of your level of insight in, into the situation. So um, people should be looking all the time for opportunities to apply their insights helpfully to, to others. And, and one of the interesting things with your own client base is, you know, looking at your own client base in a, you know, in a very soft researching way and seeing what, person A, B, C and D have raised as issues and paid to have looked after. Um, you know, they are the tip of the iceberg out there. There are other people out there who um, could be asking you for the same help, but, um, you know, you're never going to come across them if, if you don't reach out into the environments where they may read or listen to or whatever, you know. So, um, again, I think it comes back to time. Um, and, you know, one of the little tips, I'm very mindful of time and, and the fact that, you know, um, people are giving a lot of time to listen to this when you, when you uh, publish it. But the... Um, the, the tip that you know I would suggest is to to just make a certain amount of time fairly early each day 
before you become too exhausted to want to start fresh things and, and where you're tending to function on autopilot and the stuff you're really, really good at. So if people aren't good at business development, um, do a few things that you've decided you need to do every day um, for a short period of time and then move on. Uh, delighted that you've at least invested that time again and and it will build up and build up and build up. So um, the reverse often happens. People think I'll do some business development later on today when I've got all this other stuff out of the way. And of course, the other stuff is never completely out of the way. So sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Or they get there and they say, right, it's out of the way now. And they sort of, you know, sit down and plan to do some business development and find themselves, um, you know, knackered, bereft of an ability to think clearly and be uh, constructive. So they end up doing nothing. Mm. Uh, well, often they end up reaching back for a client's file and getting back into something they're comfortable with. So I always say to people, do it in the morning when you're fresh. Um, you know, yes, if you've got a massive problem that must be dealt with on a client's file, do that first or get up earlier, but um, do something every single day and keep a record of it. Um, you know, um, give yourself brownie points. Look back at the record of what you've done and at the end of the week, you'll be, uh, you know, you'll be delighted how much you've achieved when you thought you didn't have the time. Oh, absolutely agree. I, I, I'm a big believer in doing the hardest thing you got to do uh, pretty much first thing in, in the morning, if possible. Um, because that's, I know for me, that's when I'm the most creative. Uh, that's when my motivation is the highest. And usually the hardest thing I have to do requires me to learn and research and do things I've never done before. And then as the day wears on, I become less and less interested in, in pushing myself. So um, totally agree with that. So keeping the topic on the, uh, the pandemic, um, what would be some of the, would you be prepared to give maybe a specific example of a problem that a client has had when they've, they've come to you and, and how you've helped them? Obviously, I understand if you don't want to name anyone. Uh, you know, the, the, the good thing about reaching out to your existing client base in circumstances like we've got at the moment is that you've, you've already got relationships. And some of those relationships are incredibly strong, you know, depending on how long you've been in business, some of them might last the whole time. So I've got current clients who've been working with me without a break for 27, 28 years. So you have that relationship within which to work. So, so you can find out from people um, what's impacting them, how busy they are, whether they have any inclination to chat or whether they're so busy shoveling that, um, you know, they just want to be left alone for the moment. But they'll tell you because of your relationship. And uh, the interesting thing is that once you start talking to people about how they're traveling and put it in, in you know, in the context of, you wanting to see how you can put a system, nothing to do with 
selling them any services, um, then the conversation flows and things arise out of that where uh, I've got specific examples of people saying, oh, I'm really glad you've been in touch because I've got a couple of ideas that, that I want to run by you. One, one is well-developed and I'll run it by you. Uh, and, and another one's not well developed, but I'll get back to you on it. So that gives you confidence that there are still people out there thinking about their business and um, there's going to be work. It's just a question of um, when and what it will be and, and not to think about trying to do the same kind of work that you were doing before exactly. Because at the end of the day, you've got to adapt to what the client's are wanting if you can do it if you can't do it then refer them to someone who can um, but but certainly at the moment a lot of firms were going through a concern that they might not be able to keep everybody on and uh, my view might be a little bit old-fashioned but I, I have a view that you work hard to keep people on who uh, show clearly that they are invested in the business and wanting to give their very best and wanting to understand how to give their very best. So I believe you need to have good systems for understanding what people should be doing for their um, remuneration and, and all the other investment in them. And then for uh, following up and, and making sure that it's actually happening because uh, decisions shouldn't be made about making people re redundant you know, or uh, shortening people's hours or, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not, just an example, you know, not inviting them to, to be involved with JobKeeper, for example. They shouldn't be made without proper assessment um, for all sorts of reasons, just, just basic human reasons. But from a business point of view, um, there are a lot of things that, that need to be done by firms that, to make sure they're not doing things in any sort of knee-jerk way, um, simply because that, that's not smart, but also because it could have ramifications in terms of employment law if things are done knee-jerk and done incorrectly. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot, lot of opportunities. Um, funnily enough, the majority of firms uh, are finding that um, things are actually going okay and they're pretty confident. Um, so they're confident about coping, they're confident about survival, they're very, very confident about the future. Um, of, and that's good because at this stage, none of us can know what the future is. But if you're very confident about it, um, you'll deal with whatever it is far better than others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, so having having systems in place so everyone knows what's expected of them and and uh, all the the uh, the the tasks and and things that are required of staff are all written down. I think that's super important so that that other people can easily learn how to do what the other people do. So you're not completely relying on one person who has all the information up in their head, but no one else will ever know how it's done. And, uh, and and accountability is a big thing, isn't it? So it's one yeah, thing to tell rec people. Recognising that um, 
accountability is a very good thing within a business. It's um, uh, and some people listening to your podcast will will recognise that I've written something on this fairly recently in terms of micromanagement, um, requiring people to be confident about being accountable is absolutely essential in terms of managing your resources, your people resources, which are the most expensive resources you've got. They've got the greatest potential, obviously, to produce revenues and, and they've got the guaranteed potential to chew up cash. So you've got to get that relationship right. And, and if people don't understand what's expected of them and then have somebody who is willing to eyeball them in a, in a constructive way and have the, what people regard as the hard discussions. To me, it's not a hard discussion to have with someone to help them achieve what they're supposed to be achieving and get them back on track if it's not working. Um, that's the job of an employer. But given that um, a lot of employers are busy principals with all the problems we alluded to early, uh, a lot of the time, principals will say to me, I've been meaning to do this better. I've been meaning to do this better, but it just isn't happening. Could you help me with it? And, and often what that means is, will you do it for me? Uh, will you have these discussions with people that need to be had? And, and that's a big call because you're coming across a relationship between employer and employee, which should be largely working well within the relationship itself. But sometimes to, to help the firm, you've got to be prepared to come in and, and have those constructive discussions with people and obviously copy the, uh, copy the employer in fully so that they can learn from what you do that it's actually not all that hard. They're not hard conversations and not only they're not hard, they are essential. So is that, a, is that a common task or service that you provide for law firms? So you come into the firm and you interview staff individually and you uh, ask them to provide information on what, they're, what they do um, and, and you go report back to management? Yeah, and, and very often it's a case of trying to align what they think they're supposed to be doing with what the firm thinks they're supposed to be doing and sometimes that's got gaps in it. So it can be try to align what someone thinks they should be doing with what I think they should be doing, knowing what the firm's business plans are or should be, uh, and then set up systems for making sure it happens on an ongoing basis because the flow of investment into people is continuous. So the flow of production out while it won't be identical every day, of course, the flow over time, over any given time period, the flow of productivity out has to be also uh, continuous in, in the sense that the revenue that's going to get produced by all the different sorts of activity of an individual has to significantly exceed the costs being invested in them to create the margin, to create the liquidity for the future to, to give a return to the business and to fund the business in, in every single next phase. They, the, most of the problems that small law firms have is a lack of planning, uh, 
an inability to recognize that you actually don't make any profit until you've generated about 90% of your revenues. Um, so, and, and when you've generated 90% of your revenues, you haven't generated dollars profit. All you've done is set yourself up to get to your first dollar of profit. It's thereafter that you create profit. And, and so 90%, which would have been wonderful for us at law school, <laughs> is, uh, is actually, um, you know, abject failure in terms of running a business because you've produced no profit at all. Yeah, and, and a quick, before I, before I forget to mention it, uh, just a quick insight. You, you mentioned uh, that a lot of uh, staff actually want to know what's expected of them. And I couldn't agree any, any more with that. I think that's completely true. There seems to be uh, maybe a misconception if you're a manager that you don't want your staff to think that you're breathing down their neck and, and playing big brother on them and spying on them. And, but that's, that's not how it's perceived. There's, a, there's a, a, a lot of my friends from university who are fresh out of uni and, and uh, in new jobs. One of their main probably the main uh, concern I hear from them, if they're not happy in a job, it's usually, I, it's because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what's expected of me and I don't have sufficient um, management. I don't have super uh, supervision, the type of supervision that I need. I don't feel like I'm getting better at my job. I'm just kind of left to my own devices. Yeah, and it's a um, human nature, isn't it? That people want to understand what's expected of them yeah so uh, an obligation of a good manager is not to micromanage um, but to manage effectively with each individual person and each individual person has to be treated differently so the time has to be taken to make sure you understand each individual person and um, have a plan with them to work with them for them, which then naturally flows into for the firm. So there's no sort of, you know, work them hard, bleed them till they drop and get someone else. It's, we will all win in this if we all understand what we're supposed to be doing and know how to go about doing it. And yeah. time, you know, that will not work without um, understanding what you've got to do, but also actually putting the time in. Absolutely. Can't, can't skate over it. So I'll just, uh, we'll, I'll just ask maybe a handful of extra questions and then I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. So you, we'll, we'll let you get on with your day. Uh, but what I, one question I had for you, um, what advice do you have for a lawyer that has been thinking of starting their own law firm and they were getting really ready to do that. And then this whole pandemic hit and their, their plans have been thrown out the window. What advice do you have to someone like that? Yeah, it's a, a particularly good one because, you know, and, and um, I've been thinking about this, you know, for a little while since you first flagged that a while back as being a possible question for today. There's obviously a tipping point where I would say to people, look, right at the minute, given your business plan and given your proposed approach and everything else, it, it might be a little bit overambitious to toss in your job and, and go out and start a practice right at the moment. But 
that said, uh, if people have got their business plan right and are very clear how they're going to be helping people long before they actually get to do any paid work for anybody, um, then there's no time like the present. You might as well get on with it. Um, so it would come down to the individual situation, but I certainly would not think that it's a, you know, anything like 100% no-no for people to uh, start a practice at the moment if they've got the, the, the enthusiasm, the clarity around their finances and, and so forth. Um, if they've got the, um, you know, the get up and go and the optimism uh, and they're willing to get the right help, I'd, I'd go for it. Certainly, you know, this, this sort of looking back, you often find that uh, you could have thought of reasons for putting off what you did. Certainly when I started, you know, I had two large mortgages, two kids in school, I think two cars leased at, you know, 19% interest rates and, you know, and a wife who um, worked hard in the home and, and not outside the home. And, and, you know, I gave up a partnership in a firm and went out and started a business with no clients. Well, it would have been easy to think that that wasn't the right time. Wow. But, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, businesses that um, start in difficult economic climates, like a, a lot of successful businesses started back in 2008 during the GFC. Uh, and it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, you, it, it's good for you because you started back then. Like, look, but, but right now in, in five, 10 years time, we'll be looking back and there'll be businesses that started around this time that are now incredibly successful because they, they saw an opportunity and they went with it and they, they, didn't, they didn't delay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I get a lot of exceptionally good advice from my wife of 46 years, and I'm not being in any way facetious about that. And she very often says, hey, you just got to go for it. Just get on with it. There's, there's lots and lots of people who will put things off. And, uh, you know, you could find that in two days' time, when you change your mind and think I should do it, then something happens or has happened, which means you got it wrong and you really should have got going yeah. when, you, when you first thought of it and when, when you were ready. And, you know, um, I, I tend to advise people not to, not to put things off unless they're grossly underprepared. They say that what, the best time to plant a tree was, was yesterday, or I don't know if that's 30, an exception. 30, 30 years 30 ago, years ago yeah. the one I've seen, yeah. Yeah. Best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. Yeah. So, um, final questions. These might be, these quite relate to what I do as well. I want your thoughts on this, on lead generation, especially on a website. How do you feel about the, the first consultation being free? Um, it depends absolutely what it is um, because there are some areas where, and, you know, we don't need to go into them, but it just, there are some areas where if you tried to do a paid initial consultation um, experience has shown you'll get next to no inquiry. Um, but I have a view as well that um, with legal advice, 
if you have uh, a range of paid initial consultations um, and, and you pitch that correctly and you provide great value, you will get paid decade after decade after decade, I've tested this, you will get paid for giving advice that other people give for free. Now, if they're giving it for free as part of their business development, you're getting paid to do your business development. So you're far better off. I, I don't like surrounding myself with a lot of people who want things for free. I, I think the world's too big and too full of people who uh, are going to make better clients um, that if they don't think that uh, I'm worth paying something to, uh, you know, then to me, that's a bit of a concern. Now, it's also a bit different when you have very, very long-term relationships with clients because uh, that you, you, you know you do because you've, you've had a business for a long time. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt in certain circumstances when you have generated quality inquiry to make it clear to people that you would be delighted to have a chat with them, uh, whether it be you know on the phone or by way of a Zoom or other conference, um, gratis because you know that that's when you tend to clinch the most of your early relationships. And if you're going to be charging someone, you know, $1,985 a month um, for the next five years, investing 30 minutes in having a, a really good chat to them is a, is a very good way of, uh, of helping to show them that um, you do know what you're talking about and that um, you're generous with your time. So, you know, you've got to be a bit careful either way, um, but it, most of the very successful firms that I have assisted over the years charge for the big majority of their initial consultations, but they're very value-packed offerings. So what a, let's have, have an example. Let's say a family lawyer, uh, they've got a website and... Uh, how do you feel about a 15-minute a phone call as the first consultation that's free? Should they charge for that or should that – how do you feel about that? Uh, look, uh, this is just uh, quite deliberately shooting from the hip. If it was going to be 15 minutes, I would do it for free. But any significant family law problem that someone presents with is going to require a discussion of the various avenues of solution. And, and really what, what you would be wanting to do is to be talking to that person for 45 minutes to an hour. And if you can get them to see that it's in their best interest to find out what their options are and, and to pay you know, $235 for that, then it helps you to be able to think that going forward, they're not going to be whinging about every little expense that's incurred and second guessing everything and, and picking your bills to pieces and, you know, wanting discounts and so forth. You, you want to try and populate your client base with 
as far as possible the right types of people. And so the flip side is if you find you've got the wrong types of people in front of you uh, for any length of time, um, when the opportunity arises, I would tend uh, to be working towards moving them on. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of uh, offering the 10 to 15 minute free initial phone call or, or even Zoom if possible, and then having a, another option on the website where if, uh, they want the 45, 60 minute sort of consult, there's a fee attached to that just to, to exp- get the mind thinking, oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, you know, I've got to value this, this lawyer's time. But that was some that was um, some good insiders. Another thing about pricing: How do you feel about uh, this? Is probably this is probably my last question today. Um, how do you feel about having a page on a law firm website about fees and costs? And if so, like what sort of information is appropriate and what's not? Okay, again, because you know we've got limited time. I- what I would tend to do is make it very clear that you'll be incredibly transparent about fees. Um, but I would not tend to put people in a position where they can look at a fee or look at an hourly rate and do their own um, analysis of the um, you know, value equation there without your involvement. So I, I would far rather have an opportunity to pack the transaction with value so that, you know, the value equation for them is a no-brainer at the time when you present them with what their investment is going to need to be. I, I don't, it's like a bit like getting three quotes for a job. Um, you know, if you're getting three quotes for a job, you end up tending to compare on price. And I don't believe that it's in the best interest of most businesses, most legal practices, to be compared on price. You really need to be compared on something a lot more sophisticated than that. And and that may in some cases involve um, fixed fees for a service that is transparent. And if it is a fixed fee, for a service that's truly transparent, then go for it. But you certainly don't want a person looking at your product, your service, looking at the fixed fee, and then ringing another firm and saying, well, you know, I can get it for X down the road. Can you do it for $200 cheaper? Mm. I mean, I'd be lending those clients $100 to go to go down the road, personally. That's That would be the smartest use of your money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with the transparency and honesty thing. Uh, if a law firm uh, doesn't want to disclose pricing or believes they shouldn't, then there's definitely something powerful about addressing fees and costs and at least explaining uh, how, uh, how fees are charged for various types of practice areas and why. Just addressing that elephant in the room, I think it really reduces that anxiety and that, that friction. Um, Yeah, guaranteed. And, and, you know, the bottom line is that for a lawyer who understands pricing, I mean, really understands pricing, you will actually be able to charge closer to the proper price for clients you have 
explain things to properly like that. Um, if you don't, you will end up charging less than the proper price. So we're not talking about people charging too much or overcharging, but if you want to get close to charging properly, you need to be very, very open about fees because uh, that makes the big majority of clients a lot more relaxed and, and you won't have the angst later normally. Uh, these things are all, you know, all things being equal. You won't have the angst later that you would have if you'd left them in the dark and they felt ambushed. And, mm. and you and I would have exactly the same attitude to that if we were dealing with a supplier, you know, a builder, a plumber, an electrician or whatever we would feel exactly the same. So why, why should law firm clients be any different? Exactly. Good advice there. Uh, let's final, final question. It's been, obviously it's been great picking your brain today. And uh, I, um, oh, my yeah, pleasure. It's been, it's been, it's been really good. I, I love your, your headphones with the, with the microphone on it. It's looking uh, very high tech. And finally, what I want to know is if you weren't, uh, if you didn't become a lawyer or a practice management consultant, what would you do? What would be your job? <laughs> well, uh, my interest is in uh, dressage riding um, and got a young horse coming along at the moment. But, you know, I uh, would have loved to have played a lot more golf. Uh, I would have loved to have played a lot more tennis. Professionally. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, uh, but I haven't regretted for one minute being a lawyer and I certainly haven't regretted one minute of uh, helping fellow lawyers over the last 30 plus years um, with this whole issue of making management of their practice a lot more um, enjoyable and, and much better outcomes. Uh, but I never, I never ever planned to be a lawyer. I got into it by accident when a whole lot of mates um, didn't turn up to play tennis and said they were going off to enrol in law. So I, uh, I went with them and enrolled. That's how I, that's how I got into law. This sounds more like how someone got into the army, not becoming a lawyer. <laughs> so you were, what you were playing, you were meant to play tennis and then your friends were like, we don't want to play tennis. We want to become lawyers. And they, they enrolled in, that sounds oh, they, like, they that sounds like a movie. Tennis. They wanted to play tennis, but they had their priorities wrong. They wanted to go and enroll uh, in the law course. We were, we were at the university tennis courts and I was waiting racket in hand and, you know, impatiently tapping the walls on the ground waiting to start our, our usual game of tennis and um, they said we'll, we'll be a while we're going up to register um, you know for for uni and I said oh what are you enrolling in and they all said law so I said I'll come with you so you went there that day just to play tennis not to enroll yeah. in any subjects yeah absolutely I didn't even know enrollment was on quite frankly <laughs> did those guys finish their law degrees uh, some of them did. Um, some of them didn't pass any units in the first couple of years. I think the um, the university environment was a little, little bit too appealing. But uh, I uh, I needed to pass, and uh, I need, I wanted to pass and get out of there as quickly as possible. Wow, wow! I had no idea that was that was your story. That's yeah, everyone's got their little stories. Sometimes uh, you don't want to tell them and other times, you know, it's, it's a bit of fun. You don't mind at all. Um, but I don't feel, 
uh, as if I'm, uh, you know, a maverick or loosey-goosey because I didn't have my life planned out in advance. Um, I had an older brother who was a lawyer, but I had no intention of going into law. Wow. So you're not that, that kid who was uh, working their butt off at, at high school because they knew that the mark that they had to get to get into law school, you were just thinking about tennis and horses and golf. Well, back in those days, yeah, no, no, uh, no horses, but uh, definitely uh, tennis and tennis and fishing. So, you know, these days it's sort of uh, tennis, dressage, riding, fishing and, <laughs> and golf. Amazing. All right, Rob, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, my pleasure and uh, have a good one. And I hope uh, everybody uh, got at least something out of, out of that. They did. They got the, they got the tennis story. All right, mate. <laughs> All the <laughs> best. Terrific. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye now. There you go. That's the interview. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. I hope you got something out of that. There were some real nuggets of wisdom there. I've got my, my dog at my feet right now. He's decided to make some noise. Uh, but of course, if you do want to support the podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or watching on. And uh, until next time, I'm Brennan Kelso. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> my dog is just like, oh my God. Anyway, yeah, have a great day.